You are listening to Historically, a show where we decolonize history and debunk myths and misinformation taught to you in school and on corporate media. Today, we have a guest host, Jeff, who will be interviewing Keith Errol Benson. Hello, Keith. Thank you for coming today. Why don't you introduce yourself and then introduce sort of how your book came to be, and then uh, we'll get right into it. My name is Keith Errol Benson. Uh, I live in Camden, New Jersey. I'm considered a bit of an activist in the city, and uh, I wrote a book called The Power and the Glory, The Racial History of America and How to Fix It. It's essentially a history book, but I'm of the belief that uh, any people who know their history have a leg up, if not a whole life up, on people who don't. Quite frankly, the genesis of that book is I've never met a single African-American who honored their history who suffered any form of self-hatred or found academics to be um, intimidating. So therefore I realized that honoring thy father and thy mother must be that bomb in Gilead that in the black community is so often sung about but rarely, rarely, rarely ever found. So it's almost 100% in its effect, positive effect on people, um, rich or poor, urban or suburban, short or tall. So um, I'm happy to have written it, and um, I'm happy with the responses I'm getting from it. So that's myself in a nutshell. Can you give just a minute on your music background? Oh, yeah. I've been very, very fortunate, very, very blessed in my music career. Um, The highlights that I've had is I'm the only musician who was ever a member of two of the most iconic studio bands in the history of American music. Uh, Motown's Funk Brothers, I won two Grammy Awards with, and Philadelphia National Records, NFSB, I won about 20 gold records with, and I run another four gold records with other people like Robert Palmer and people outside of uh, uh, Edgar Winter, people outside of Philadelphia National Records. So I've had a very, very, very uh, blessed career in music, but um, I felt a little guilty when I was seeing my own people struggle, and I prayed on it, contemplated on it until some answers came and the answer was in my life honored by father and my mother why that your days belong upon the earth which is a fancy way of saying know your history so you'll know perspective power purpose and passion and your life will be much more meaningful because it won't just be your little 30 40 50 60 70 years you'll be part of a continuum so i look at my life as part of continuing from norma who who Unified Upper and Lower Egypt to Imhotep, who was the real father of medicine, to Jesus Christ, to Chaka Zulu, to Fred Douglas, to Martin Malcolm, Du Bois, and now I'm up to bat. And my son actually understands he's part of a continuum that goes back to the beginning of history. So that just puts your that just roots your life and roots your purpose. And certain silly things you normally would do, you wouldn't do. Now you'll we still do silly stuff. And we could be still human, but maybe not as much, and that might be helpful. Okay, and you're a drummer. Oh yeah, right? so yeah, I'm a drummer. Yeah. Um, okay. And most people have heard me play. Uh, I played all, all, every album that Teddy Pendergrass had before he was uh, before he was uh, had his accident. I was on it. Barack Obama used my, one of my songs, "Ain't No Stopping Us Now," as a theme song. That's me playing drums on that. That's you on "Ain't No Stopping Us yeah, Now." That's me. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> okay. And, um, so I've been I've been blessed. All right. So you gave me your book, and I I will admit that just your title and uh, yeah, the Bible commands. I I admit that I was skeptical that I thought it was uh, you know there's going to be a lot of scripture in it, mm-hmm. and, and there's just not. <laughs> I mean, you're clearly you're clearly a spiritual man, and there's there's a little bit here and there, right. of but but it's really 99% of the book is just pure history. Right. Sure. Um, I'm not a religious person, so that that I, I was glad to hear that. Yeah. So so, and true religious people, true Christian people, which are, there are very few of, it doesn't matter to us. It makes no difference, you know, whether one is or whether not. There are brother, there are sister, there are people, and we. We should be sacrificial in our life on how we see to it that they have a more comfortable journey called life. You you care about people and your your sort of tool for meaning of life. Your meaning of life tool. Mm-hmm. Your caring for people tool is religion. 
and it's yeah, and it's I guess you say that, and it's it's different for me. I'm not yeah. even sure how I would answer it, but yeah. so it's just a different, different. Yeah, 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 yeah. different. So I read, so I read your book, and it's 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 excellent. Thank you. And um, I knew I knew pieces, but this really put a lot of it together. I mean, clearly, I'm had no clue the 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 African American focus of the history, which mm-hmm. I couldn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd like to start this with my sort of scattershot conclusions sure. that I've come up with, Whatever. and then then you will. Then I have I wrote lots of notes as well, sure. but I, I want to tell you what sort of struck me. Okay. And okay. So. My glasses. So. I mean, much of this I did not know before. Every war in American history has significant basis in preserving the institution of slavery. <laughs> yes. Starting with the, the Revolutionary War. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I sort of, I mean, the Civil War, that was clear. Obviously. But I didn't, I didn't know as much of the Revolutionary War. And even... War with D12. The Revolutionary War and Civil War and the earlier wars, I think, were more brazenly mm-hmm. preserving slavery. Right. But 9-11, mm-hmm. that's not like brazenly preserving slavery, but it was used as an excuse to crush dissent, mm-hmm. which is the same thing, not necessarily against 100% against black people, mm-hmm. but now more against... Um, the wider population. Just the wider population. Because Okay. And yet... in. As you document, the, the Revolutionary War and the Civil War, and I'm sure other ones, mm-hmm. were fought by blacks. And if they weren't, then we may very well not have won those wars. Absolutely. And, okay, so the beginning of our country was based on we want our freedom in order to be able to enslave black people. You we're fighting for our freedom right. to enslave black exactly. people. Exactly. Yes. And, and, um, they created the, they, they, they made a conscious decision to make race-based supremacy, right? Mm-hmm. To keep poor whites hating on blacks in order to not realize that they're being screwed by the rich right. whites. As a bulwark to for each other. In other words, poor whites would keep black uh, ascension from happening, and the struggling blacks would keep poor white ascension from happening. And it was really a diabolically genius. Mm-hmm. Because it worked so long and so effectively, still is. You know, it still is. And so poor whites are happy that they're not black. Exactly. Instead of worrying about being screwed by the people exactly. above, which is what, which today we say, you know, you should be angry at those immigrants for stealing our jobs. Yeah. Which is that? So ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Because the CEO is the one who made that decision right. to hire them, screwing both of them. Right. Um, so the 1965 Civil Rights Act mm-hmm. substantially reduced, obviously did not end. 64 Civil Rights Act. Okay, 64 Civil Rights Act substantially reduced race-based supremacy. Redu- yes. It reduced it. Yes, no doubt. It reduced it. About it. Obviously nowhere near eliminated, mm-hmm. but it reduced it. And then... This is what I concluded, which doesn't this isn't said directly in your book. Mm-hmm. But then, I think what grew out of the Civil Rights Act, because race-based supremacy was lessening, mm-hmm. still signif- obviously very significant, but lessening compared right. to slavery, blatant slavery, that's what grew out of that is neoliberalism. Because neoliberalism is, once again, we don't have race-based slavery mm-hmm. as blatantly, as brazenly, whatever, mm-hmm. prominently. Mm-hmm. So now we have neoliberalism, which is, again, class-based slavery. Okay. Explain neoliberalism to me. Neoliberalism is the idea that of taking people, taking power out of the hands of people, the government, mm-hmm. and putting them into the hands of the rich. Mm-hmm. So the rich have stolen our government from us. Mm-hmm. They will not let us back in. And but they tell us that the government is the problem. Mm-hmm. They, they but they shut us out of the government so we can't make it better. Well, how is that any different than the Gilded Age? It's the same. Okay. So it is the Gilded. It is the new Gilded Age. Okay. So so, so before it, it, I'm saying it didn't really need civil rights to do that. That we've been doing that ever since there's been an America. Well, I think well Thatcher and Reagan ramped yeah, that up. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Orders that, of magnitude. In that, okay. In that regard, Nixon, Reagan. Yeah, in that regard, it, it it helps to speed up what they've been trying to do for a long time anyway. All right, here we go. 
Thank you. So, so neoliberalism is the idea of taking power from the people and blaming individuals for the problems caused by billionaires. And, and without being a dead hook, just trying to figure out how is that new from... It's not new. Okay. It's just put on hyperdrive starting okay. with Thatcher and Reagan. Okay. The dismantling of protections, of governmental protections, right. the dismantling of... Of the New Deal and everything that makes Yes, exactly. And, and uh, banking regulations in, in particular. And then in the late 1990s, then we get Occupy Wall Street. So people are starting to rise up. Mm-hmm. Then coincidentally, in 2001, 9-11. Mm-hmm. You, know, I, I, you know, whatever conspiracy theories or whatever it is, Whatever the the result is, is that September 11th was used as an excuse to crush dissent in the name of the boogeyman called terrorism. Mm -hmm. Okay, so race supremacy was really used to crush African Americans with using poor whites as a tool, Mm -hmm. and now we have the war on terrorism, which is an excuse for the Patriot Act and to to spy on Americans, to basically crush dissent. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, with the severity of climate change, mm-hmm. which I said to you, I'm going to say on the recording, studies commissioned by the Australian government, by the British government, by a Harvard scientist, say explicitly that civilization could completely end without exaggeration nation states will break down international order will break down and potentially the extinction of the human species so you know that is terrifying Mm -hmm. and that's within the next hundred years starting within the next 30 years if we do nothing if we do nothing regarding shutting down fossil fuels so I am thinking and this is I have this is just my instinct, and of course I would love to be wrong and ask me to back it up, and I probably would crumble. But I think it is a possibility that climate change is being used by the powerful as passive genocide. If they do nothing, then billion, their, all their billions of protesters will suddenly disappear, and they're banking on them. Maybe they could ride it out with their money and their resources. And that is like the ultimate, the ultimate crushing of the sin. So that you know, that's extreme. That uh, that is just a feeling. Well, but well, world history is replete with the outrageous. So for us to negate the outrageous as a possibility um, makes us completely ignorant of our own history. <clears throat> Could I see a scenario where the social engineers of the world have decided the population is too large, being 8 billion, which is twice the amount of people that were here just 50 years ago? Sure, I could see that. Um, Would I consider it? Sure, I would consider it. I would hope that that was not the case, but the history of man's inhumanity to man um, at least makes us understand that anything is possible. So we should factor it as a possibility, if not a probability. So okay. So that's really, you know, some of that came straight from you. Come, some of that came sort of from my conclusions based on that. Mm-hmm. You know, neoliberalism isn't really mentioned in your book. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you talk about? Can you talk about the conscious decision of? powerful people, I don't recall specifically who they were, to create this race-based supremacy and particularly the idea oh, sure. the idea of intentionally keeping them ignorant okay. and the, the, particularly the quote of preventing sunshine from getting into their minds. Yeah, 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 yeah. Alright. Um, initially, uh, the largest forced migration in the history of all humanity was to take the estimated 20 to 100 million, depending on who you're talking to, people 
from the continent of Africa to the uh, continents of North and South America. <coughs> um, in Jamestown, from which my book focuses, clearly focuses on American history, uh, in 1676, there was a guy named uh, Bacon, Nathaniel Bacon. <laughs> Oddly enough, he was a white farmer of some note, but he wasn't on the inside. So he, I guess he'd be the equivalent to, to being maybe a, um, uh, maybe a millionaire, but not the billionaire class. And he was tired of having, I'm just using um, metaphors, he was tired of having, how the billionaire class was treating him. So he put together a whole group of blacks, free blacks, slave blacks, Native Americans, poor whites, any rabble they could find, and they went to the seat of Jamestown Power and basically took over through violent means and over overthrew um, the uh, the person who was in charge of town. His name's not coming to me at this point. Um, but when they re when England reestablished order in 1676, they determined they would Bacon's Rebellion. Bacon's Rebellion. Is this, right. is this the what you're talking? About? Yeah, yes, exactly. Okay. Um, when Nathaniel Bacon was not happy with the treatment he was getting from the uh, uh, super wealthy at the time, and um, he put together a coalition of disenfranchised, and they um, went to uh, the, the seat of uh, Jamestown and took over, and in effect won until England sent their army, their regular army, to break the rebellion down and end the rebellion. So the powers that be at the time decided they needed strategies to make sure that never happened again. And the strategy they came up with, that's when they stopped the indentured um, maneuvers. If you're an indentured, invariably when they let you go as a white person, you're going to be poor. And you're going to naturally find a lead with poor blacks or enslaved blacks. So you had no more indentures. They had a caste system put in intentionally where they would let the poor whites lord over the slaves and the free blacks to give them a sense of entitlement that they would not want to lose, and it worked like a charm. Um, so it's not only it's not only being glad that you're not black, but actually giving them control over the blacks. Right, complete control. I mean, there was up until the 1960s, there were there were few, if ever, any. Uh, rape cases uh, prosecuted that you you had white males had complete uh, control over any black female they wanted and and it, let's let the record show that white females didn't do too bad with black males either they were just more discreet about it you know what I'm saying but um, uh, murder that was legal everything was legal you know for over 300 years um, and so Bacon's rebellion and so Bacon's rebellion was the cause of that. You know, another before Bacon's Rebellion, you had black indentures and white indentures. You had mainly black slaves, but it wasn't the whole white supremacy wasn't baked into the, the entire culture. But after that, when, to, to, to make this uh, social arrangement, this degraded and um, debased social arrangement a part of reality, it was taught in schools, it was part of the judiciary, it was part of entertainment, it was part of religion. Everywhere people gathered and their mind was trained, it was steeped in this real religion called white supremacy. So, um, it was in the Virginia Senate in the 1800s, I forgot who the, who the um, congressperson was. He was speaking about how every avenue of enlightenment for humanity really to the black mind had been closed off, and uh, but uh, that was wishful thinking because about 50, you know, probably about 30 years after that, the Civil War started, and they found out very quickly that every avenue to the black mind was not closed off at all. Yeah. So, so this quote, and I don't know who it's by, mm -hmm. close every avenue by which light might enter their minds, mm -hmm. extinguish their capacity to even see the light. Right. And then we can reduce them to the level of beasts, right. and then we can be safe. That was, yeah, I just, I just remember that with the Virginia legislature. Um, someone stood up and made that ridiculous comment, and I was I included that in the book to show you just how depraved these people were. 
en, en masse. I mean, it wasn't like he was no, he, he, he wasn't an exception. That was just, that was the mindset of the time, you know. Um, and this is what the, the attempt really was, which is the sickest thing. A lot of people try to say, well, there are other slaves who are not like this one. Never in the history of slavery. Go, go back to the Jewish slaves um, in Egypt. They, in captivity, had their culture, had their God, had their language, had their family, had their dignity, had their humanity. They come up to this slavery. It's the first slavery in the history of mankind where they, the enslaver actually tried to make the enslaved feel that they were not in the human family. And they weren't largely successful, but sometimes they were. You know, so this was the most tragic, most evil, most uh, venal um, slavery, and which has no, it really has no parallel in all of history and all the world. Can you, can you, so, so once you keep them ignorant, mm -hmm. then what's the excuse on the other side of, like, if someone dared to try and give the slave a book, what would be the reaction? What would be the specific reaction to that? Because they obviously want to avoid that. So what would be their reaction? What would be their response? The penalty would be very severe. Not the penalty. I'm not asking the penalty. I'm asking what's the logical, quote, logical reasoning for not doing that? For not doing what? If I, as a reasonable person, but I don't, I'm, let's pretend I, I either play stupid or I'm truly ignorant, naive, and I go to someone, a slave owner back mm -hmm. whenever, mm -hmm. and I say, I'm going to give the slave a book. Mm -hmm. What would be their reaction of why I should logically not give that slave a book? Oh, that was even stated. Um, and I got, I find like their reasoning they're, they're, for avoiding I, that. I, I will, I will, I'll find the gentleman who made that quote, but he's, the quote was, an educated man makes a poor slave. Okay, but that's that's practical. But right. but what is from someone from that is that is someone? Okay, what I'm trying to get at: poor people, poor whites were fooled mm -hmm. into genuinely thinking mm -hmm. that blacks couldn't be educated for some reason. Right. A a a a so-called positive ethical reason. Mm -hmm. You know what you just said is we can't keep them slaves if we educate them. Mm -hmm. But that's not what they told people. They told, what was the propaganda, I guess, is what I'm asking, to avoid blacks being educated? You know, it, it, yeah, well, you can't, well, you can't educate um, an orangutan. You can't they're just not capable it, of it. Exactly. But obviously they're, they're dealing with hypocrisy and neurosis because if they really truly believed that blacks were uh, so inferior, they would not fear them being educated. Nobody feared a, a turtle being educated or a horse. They feared us being educated because they knew they were, they knew in, on a gut level and on a common sense level. Because again, there was a lot of interaction between black people and white people at the time. They knew full well what the black man and woman's capability was. But this is the thing they told themselves to justify okay. this stark evil. Interesting. So, yeah. so they're. They say that they're not capable, but their fear betrays. Yeah, their fact, their panic know. and fear betrays. Right. Exactly. Betrays what, they, what betrays the truth. Yeah. Um, and let me just let me elucidate that. When I speak to my young people that I teach, I teach them that the white man doesn't hate them. White man has a a, a trilogy, you know, um, of. Uh, spiritual problems that affect his psychology his, and his mind and his soul when he sees it. None of them are necessary, but it's his to work out because he can't, he won't face the truth. He'll never get it worked out. One is guilt. He has guilt that's probably earned, but not necessary if he works it out. The second is fear. When you're guilty, you're often fearful that of some kind of retribution for the guilt. We have never, as a people, the consequence of what made you did anybody, that, yeah, consequence but, of what you did that caused your guilt. Exactly. We have we have never, as a people, um, matter of fact, when Reginald Denny was being beaten up by by white folks or the Rodney King thing, it was black people that came to stop that. Now, I don't see where where, where blacks have many analogs. I, I did a book called uh, Without Sanctuary. Where for 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 entertainment purposes, the whole family would come and watch a man get stripped, 
castrated, burned at the stake, and, and, and hung. You see what I'm saying? So they got guilt because of that, and because they haven't dealt with it, because all they have to do is deal with it. You know, um, there are ways that come to the way. There's fear. And then, believe it or not, there's flat-out jealousy. You see what I'm saying? And when they see black people, they're reminded all very often of those three things that no more than admitting that they knew black people were not ignorant and not uncapable reading, they'd rather say, I feel like I'm better than them, though their fear of reading shows that they don't believe that. Those three things, which again, which could be worked out if they if they could get over themselves or just face the truth, they would disappear. But because they continue to delude themselves in what they think is a comfortable delusion. When they'll, you'll, you'll see ignorant, mainly ignorant white people when they see a black person. They'll be guilty, fearful, and jealous and they come together and manifest themselves as hate more often than the opposite of accepting every rule. But that's the general rule. And, and I think it's important also to say, like near the beginning of your book, you say, you know, they gave $50 for poor whites to give the scalps of Native Americans. Yes. And they were desperate. Yeah, right, right. Absolutely. So it's like, yes, Absolutely. it's a horrible thing that they did, but they were really put in a really terrible situation right. to have to be horrible to each other. And that's like the really, that's the foundation of our problem today, our problem, period, not just today, mm -hmm. but that our government has the ability to stop our suffering for everyone. Mm -hmm. They choose not to because if they give it to us for free, then they're bribers. Mm -hmm. People who legally bribe them wouldn't be able to profit off of our suffering. Right, right, right. So they put us in a position where we have to fight over the scraps, even though they could easily right. prevent that. Absolutely. But we're convinced that they can't. Generally, people are convinced that right. they do not have the ability to stop our right. suffering. Therefore, that justifies my thinking that, oh, it's the immigrants' problem, it's the blacks' problem, it's right. whatever. But society puts people in the position where they have to do horrible things to each other Absolutely. and then punishes and shames them Absolutely. for doing so. Absolutely. And the Vietnam War is a more recent um, uh, situation where that, where that type of thing occurred, where people were doing atrocities to people and... While no one is blameless, there is a level of understanding of, of um, how they were manipulated into doing things. Every human being has within their spirit the, the capacity to do great good and the capacity to do great evil. Depending on what they're faced with and um, the coercion that is, about, that is about them in their life, for more than, more, more than anything else, is going to result in what what part comes out and um, we could do a lot better than what we've been doing if we were intentional about it and I say especially those of us who fancy ourselves enlightened you know um, those of us who think we're ready for prime time we have a responsibility in my opinion to get together with other people across racial lines you know that have spiritual lines and other, other lines and try to compel this world which just like a human organism has the capacity for great wonderful things and for great evil and we have to just align ourselves to make sure we make this world do what it's capable of doing on the positive side <clears throat> the big lesson that I got from your book is that unless uprising happens really fast and really broad that it's crushed mm -hmm. I agree. relentlessly I, on that you and I agree so what what I said to you outside of this, and I don't want this to get into politics too much, but what, but my personal belief, very strong belief, sort of desperately anxious or, or belief, is that Bernie Sanders and MMT together had the possibility of bringing people together <clears throat> and to cause an uprising at a speed that would be very difficult for them to shut down, which is why there are very strong hit pieces against Bernie Sanders and why mainstream media does not show you the good side of Bernie Sanders. And the same thing with MMT, which modern monetary theory, which is the economics topic that I give presentations on, that there are also hit pieces on MMT. 
Mm-hmm. And that the, they're clearly hit pieces because they never refer to the MMT economists, they never refer to the MMT literature. Um, and what, what, these, what these two things share is that they're the truth. They don't fear Bernie Sanders himself per se. They don't, feel mo- they don't fear modern monetary theory itself per se. The powers that be fear the truth because the truth can bring people together and realize not just realize what the reality is, but realize that their whole lives have not been reality and, mm-hmm. and that that truth has been used against them for decades. Mm-hmm. And that's what brings people together. Mm-hmm. So that's my theory. Well, let me respond to that by saying this. Number one, I appreciate this conversation. It's a meaningful conversation. But I'm not going to have a meaningful conversation with anyone that doesn't bring politics to the table. Because if you're not bringing politics to the table, by definition, you are always reacting instead of proactive. Because at the end of the day, as a historian and as a musician and as a man, one thing that is inescapable to me, slavery was a political construct. Freedom is a political construct. Poverty is a political construct. And money is a political and construct. And affluence is a political construct. But but not just affluence, money itself is a... Is a okay, yeah, the, the, the whole method of the money. But you so, so it comes down to suffering is often a political construct. And the relief of suffering will be a political construct. So... So I have an acronym in my book called PEACE, which I'm trying to get people to really be intentional about their life, have purpose. And the purpose of life, I'm hoping for me, PEACE. That's political, economic, academic, cultural, and environmental justice. You see what I'm saying? So political starts it off, and the way, the way, ironically to me, the way it looks is there are no economics without politics. So politics leads to economics. Economics leads to, to academics, academics leads to the type of culture you have, and the type of culture ultimately is going to lead to your environment. So I think it lines up exactly that way. Okay. Well, I'm just saying, I'm, saying, I'm happy we're having this conversation, and I, don't, I just don't want you to um, uh, apologize for doing politics, because I'm not going to have a conversation long in 10 minutes where politics doesn't come in. Because, okay, because, hey, because, hey, I, I, I didn't want to get so far into the Bernie Sanders as we were talking about before. I don't care, wherever it goes. Okay, well, all right, so, so that's fine. Uh, so, so yeah, so I, I, I feel a real urgency with both of those topics. Mm-hmm. And actually, let me, let me ask you, do you have any takeaways from what we spoke about last week with modern monetary theory as far as, as far as that being, uh, a solution? not, not necessarily a solution, but just how that fits into your history book? Like, would that change your history book at all? Because... I'm not sure where I'm, I'm taking that, but well, the way I respond is this: I I, I tell my young people that I, I work with all the time is a wise man doesn't know everything and a fool doesn't know everything. So you got two men that know, don't know everything. Why is one wise and the other a fool? So because the wise man knows what he doesn't know. That's really all you have to know to be wise. And I know I have no clue about MMT, you know, but I do know this. I do know we need to devise a message where people are not scratching and clawing for existence. I do know that the uh, natural resources are on this planet where no one has to scratch and claw for existence. And if they are, something is wrong. The whatever solution that is, my what I postulated, which could change in and on a dime, was uh, what what Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt, postulated, what King postulated, which is uh. Uh, guaranteed income, uh, um, but if um, if we can get there another way, I'm fine. I don't care the way we get there. I just want us to get there. I know it's ridiculous for us to be scratching card for existence in a in a society and in a world that's rich in resources. All right, so let me let me uh, disabuse you of one thing that you just said. Martin Luther King did want people to have. Uh, a wage, I forget the term that you'd use, a basic income. Mm-hmm. Martin Luther King did want people to have a basic income, but that was part of the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. The bigger picture was he wanted people to have a job. Mm-hmm. And then for those who can't or shouldn't work, they right. should have a basic exactly. income. Exactly. Because a basic income by itself for everybody oh, yeah, 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 yeah. would be very bad. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, that would be very yeah, inflationary. Um, more precisely, that's correct. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. good. Because there's... there's, there's um, I was fooled myself mm-hmm. just a few months ago where there's a lot of popular articles, hundred, at least hundred articles that say Martin Luther King wanted a UBI. 
yeah. universal basic income, and I did research into it. It's like got some academic research into it, and the truth is, yes, but that's a smaller part of a bigger picture. Oh yeah, yeah. And I see the wisdom in him wanting to have a job, and I, that is exactly precisely what I read. Good. Um, I just misstated um, without the, the jobs part, but yes. I thought that was a given, but go ahead, not a problem. No, it's a, well, the, 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 the distinction is critical because... Mm-hmm. For obvious reasons. Because it, giving everybody money... Yeah, yeah, no, no. Would not... Would, non-productive society. Would not create... Would, would lower production. Yeah, right. And but would create a crush of demand. Exactly, right. And that would cause inflation. Right. And the federal job guarantee avoids that. Right. It creates the production right. and gives people money exactly. in the process. All right, good. Very good, very good. Hey, this is Hamish McKenzie. I'm one of the founders of Substack, which is the platform that hosts the Historically podcast and newsletter, and Historically is funded purely through subscriptions. So people like you can go and pay some money to get the podcast and some subscriber-only episodes and subscriber-only newsletters, and that will keep Historically totally independent and uncompromised. It's historically.substack.com. So you were saying before, of you're only enlightened if you realize that you have no things to learn, basically. Mm-hmm. If you don't think you have things to learn, then you're not enlightened. Right. I mean, basically. Right. So, so with Bernie Sanders, I learned that problems, my problems in my life were substantially caused by society. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, everyone has their own responsibility, mm-hmm. but, but society creates a really horrible situation Absolutely. for people. Mm-hmm. Then with MMT, I realized that the, the problem is even deeper than that because economics is used as a weapon against people, particularly the more disadvantaged communities that you're part of. And so it's even deeper than an economic bill of rights, which is what Bernie Sanders' solution is, which is great. But economics is used as a weapon. And so that went, that went even deeper for me. And uh, then I just read, I'm only starting to read it, so I can't really speak very clearly on it. But then I read a book, I'm reading a book called Debt by David Graeber, 5,000 years, debt, 5,000 years. And it talks about how religion actually primes the pump of people's thoughts to get them ready to feel obligated to be in debt, even when they're born. Just by being born that you're in debt. Jesus died for our sins, and now you're in debt to Jesus because he died for you. So that it's even deeper than that. It's like religion. Like mm-hmm. the, the problem gets deeper and deeper and deeper, and I wouldn't say that this is that this is underneath, but this is a very uh, your book mm-hmm. um, showing how everything is going around um, enslaving people, and they just happen to choose blacks because that was con- the convenient thing to do. Mm-hmm. That that is a it, it, it's, it's oversimplification, but it's kind of true. If you look right before the uh, land of slave trade, you had the medieval system. Which is basically white people enslaving white people. So, so yeah, they were kind of sort of roaming the world, looking to see who they could enslave. You know, um, my um, belief in religion again, we can talk about it, that's just part of culture. You know, um, it's it's really strange, very very practical. Um, my mother taught me to be a Christian not a kid. When I when Malcolm X came on the scene, I wanted to prove to my mother that you know she had been co-opted by the white man Christianity with the white man religion. I read the Bible. I saw some things that I didn't believe that a human could write. In particular, the, uh, how the Jewish people would be enslaved for two thousand years, and at the end of two thousand years, they'd go back to their homeland. Regardless how crazy it was done, it was done crazy. It was done, you know, and a few other things. And then I, that was still not good enough. I look around my own community, my, my black community in Camden, the people who had a God consciousness lived completely different. And perhaps the, the biggest convention to me, which, you know, I um, listen to all voices and I make a determination, was that the fact that the people that had done the most in my life, the, the Du Boises, W.E.B. Du Bois of the world, the uh, Harriet Tubman, the Fred Douglases, the Martin Kings, you know, um, for, for that matter, Barack Obama's, had all said, and I'll take Barack off the critical, I can't believe well before Barack, 
had all said that this unseen force had gotten them to do it. And quite frankly, the people had done next to nothing. And they all seemed to not tap into this power. So I said to myself, well, I guess, like they say, that power is optional. You could use it's there if you want it. If you don't want to use it, don't use it. But it seems to me the people that tap into it tend to get more done. And I can say in my own life, I've gotten some things done that are really inexplicable that I cannot, I cannot accredit my own power for. So I do believe there's a power beyond it. First of all, life itself is, uh, is, is a spiritual thing. When I say spiritual, the only thing I mean is not corporate. You can't weigh it. So the day you die, the day that I die, we do this, we let this thing go. The first law, second law, third law, that you can't change any energy, you can't get rid of it, you change the form, but you can't get rid of it. So that energy that animated this flesh is somewhere. A thought is spiritual. You can't see it, you can't wait. You, you can see the brain wave, but you can't see the damn thought. So the fact that the, the, the thought, the notion that there's something that's not spiritual is ridiculous. It's, it's very not, not thought out at all. So where we really are is how do we define that spiritual? What's the best way? Is is this thing they call life and the universe? I know it didn't come out of nothing because that's common sense suspended. Nothing can't come from nothing. So this something came from somewhere. So in trying to understand the the completely and understand completely non-understandable, I said there's a spirit realm that's much more real than the physical realm. Obviously, it deals with trades in the physical realm. How it does, I don't know. But I'm going to keep trying to find out until I'm a spirit myself and I leave this flesh. So that it's very, very, very practical. There's nothing like I don't like people talk about. I got to come to God by faith. I didn't come to nothing by faith. I came in by by trying to show my mother she was wrong, and then I <laughs> and I was like, oh, wait a minute. You see what I'm saying? So um, I came to it very, very, very skeptically and with logic on top of logic and um you know uh the big bang theory is the stupidest thing out that that's dumber than the tooth fairy you see what i'm saying it, there may have been a big bang i don't doubt that oh i thought you were talking about the television show for a moment oh no 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 <laughs> I'm talking about the, the evolution theory you know and this you know the theories they have for how the universe came to be but where what was banging where did that come from you know what i'm saying so these are things i'm not afraid of um quite frankly i'm fascinated i like them and, and therefore, I, I traded them, and um, this is what it led to. The reason I led to Jesus Christ out of all the other roads to this, um, to to put a personification on this spirit realm, is because Jesus Christ says out of all the religions, you're whack. You were born whack. You're gonna do the best you can. You're gonna stay whack. But I got you anyway. I said that's a standard I can live up to. <laughs> that's for me. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So, well, it, it's interesting. I, I actually, you know, the Big Bang theory and and you know the mysteries of life. What happens when we die? It's why do you need an explanation for that? Why do you have to understand it? Like religion gives you a good explanation mm-hmm. for these big mysteries, but but my thought on to some extent is I just choose to not even really go there. I'm okay with the mystery. I'm okay with I don't understand what happened that Big Bang. I'm okay with what I don't know what's going to happen with you know when I die. And I think my mattress. They said to climb it. Why did you climb it? Because it was there. Everybody doesn't want to climb my Everest. I'm not climbing a hill. You say get mad when I have to climb the stairs tonight. So <laughs> so but but then, then there's some people that want to climb Mount Everest. You see what I'm saying? And a lot of them say it's an exhilarating experience. You know. Thank you. There's a bag and here's some mayonnaise. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And there's the check. Got it. So I, I want to climb that mountain because it's there. You know, if I come out with Mount Everest. But anybody that doesn't want to, that's fine too. So the the, the you want to take a look at these mysteries is yes, what you're saying. Exactly. Okay. And I want to understand to the extent humanly possible. The main reason because people have done so much like Martin Luther King, he stood down the biggest economy in the history of the world, the biggest military in the history of the world, and made them change their economics and, and, and without and firing a shot. I have a question for you. I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Actually, before I get to the question, uh, have you heard of the, uh, there's an acapella group called Take Six. Are you familiar sure. with them? Sure. Oh, of course. You're a musician. What am I talking about? 
They're mm-hmm. unbelievable. Mm-hmm. They're unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just stand there in awe when mm-hmm. I, I it, and I, I, I regret that. I, like I, I have sung. I sang a uh, quiet place. Mm-hmm. I sang the super high part in the quiet place. I'm, I'm a trained singer. So this is a thing for the recording. Mm-hmm. I know you know. I sang the super high part in the quiet place in the concert during my my music school. It they and and I, my biggest regret as a musician is that I didn't pay attention in theory class because I want to arrange music as complicated as that, mm-hmm. and I can't. I can't. Because I, I can hear it, I can hear it, but I can't get it out. You can learn anything on YouTube. I could, I can go back to school, but mm-hmm. I'm just, I had an education in music, right. and I didn't pay attention, and okay. now that I know take six, I'm like, ah, oh, I wish I could do that. <laughs> I can sing it. Right. I can, if you put a sheet music in front of me, I can sing one of those parts, no problem, mm-hmm. and I can be part of that group, mm-hmm. but I can't arrange it. I can arrange decent stuff, but not that good. Mm-hmm. And actually, just a quick aside, I hope I won't forget my question. A quick aside. Is I saw them in concert. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh no! So I saw them in concert, and after the concert, they were signing autographs. And I was mm-hmm. like, if I started singing one of your songs, would you coincidentally back me up? Uh-huh. And I have it on tape somewhere. And I started singing uh, a few more miles to go. Right. You know that song? Yeah. So I started singing, and and a couple of them started backing me up. And my wife called. This was a while ago. Was it before like um, phones, uh, modern phones? Mm-hmm. She called our home. And recorded us on my answering machine with me singing Take Six. So it's wow. on a little mini cassette. Wow, that's great. Um, oh, the reason the reason that I like Take Six, mm-hmm. I am not a religious person. Mm-hmm. They are they are they consider I believe they consider religion more important than music. Right. They music is their tool to wow. express religion. Mm-hmm. I'm not religious, and I don't I don't. I don't dislike that, but I'm not into that. Mm-hmm. But their passion mm-hmm. for their religion mm-hmm. is 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 very attractive. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't agree with what they're saying. Mm-hmm. I don't. You know, I just don't subscribe to it. You don't have but to. but it's the passion mm-hmm. of their religion right. that they express through this unbelievable music right. that is just amazing to me. So when I tell some people. I really like Tick Six. They assume that I'm like a hardcore Christian, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. And I mm-hmm. have to explain it. No, I'm not. Um, so what was my question? My question well, while you figure that, I'll, I'll even add this. Even our best musicians, like you have like people that sing today, they're good. But the people like Marvin Gaye and Aretha Franklin, I mean, our icons, all of them were tapped in. You know what I'm saying? we call it tapped in. It's like... I see a difference in people that are tapped in and are not. I, I'm not mad to people that are not. I love the people that are not. But you don't have to be. Nothing nothing in, in the Bible, um, at least in Jesus' talk, it says you got to be. Matter of fact, when Jesus, one time, Matthew 25, he's saying, who's going to heaven, who's going to hell? All he said was, I was hungry, you fed me. I was naked, you clothed me. You know what I'm saying? Um, that basically tells me. He wants, if there is a designer of this earth and this life, and there obviously is the design, if he speaks to the designer, that if he is the um, voice for that designer, he's saying, I want good cells, healthy cells. Healthy cells are going to live, cancer cells are going to die, like we do with the human body. We try to get rid of those cancer cells and keep the healthy cells. It may or may not be true, but I like the way it sounds, and I like the way people that tap into it sound and live and achieve. So to me, um, all things being equal, it just looks like they got a leg up, so I'm rolled, I'm rolled over there. That's all. You know, It's no more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. And I guess in a lot of ways, it, that could be considered crass, you know, um, transactionalism. But I don't know. I, I, I did my investigation. That's what I came up with. And quite frankly, I don't really have a lot of respect for people who say, they got, we went to God by faith alone because there's a part in the Bible that Paul's speaking. It says test all things, you know, and hold fast to that which is true. Which means you're not supposed to just come by faith. You're supposed to test it, kick the tires, see if it's real. Yeah, question authority. Yeah, That's exactly. What question authority. Question everything and yeah. hold fast to that which is true. And if someone if someone shuts you down when you question authority. You got his right there. Yeah, that's a good way of saying it. Mm-hmm. That's not the way I would have said it, but that's that's yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. All right. 
I completely forget my question. It was a good one. I know it was a good one, but I forget. Um, all right, so let me let me say. So my mission in life is to introduce people to modern monetary theory. It shows how people have been tricked, and, and we're not going to get into the subject right now. We spoke about that last week, and but my mission is to show how economics is used as a weapon. Mm-hmm. And actually, economics is the only thing that stands between us and tyranny. Mm-hmm. Because economics is what makes people believe that things are not possible and therefore discourages them from standing up and demanding it because they're convinced that it's not possible, so why even demand it? Mm-hmm. And, and if people demanded it, then then we would start to have a conflict with our government because... They don't want to get us stuff because their donors want to get want to profit off of us. So economics is what stands between us and tyranny, which I mean that by saying that if they don't have economics to, to keep us down, then they will have guns and swords to keep us down, violence to keep us down. And so economics is, is the way that – I mean they do use violence in a sense because of federal taxes. If you don't pay your federal taxes, you'll go to jail. Mm-hmm. And that is what keeps us in line. So it's really – it's coercion. It's – loosely saying violence once a year which keeps us in line all year long but if we didn't have that then the only thing left is slavery roughly speaking is to to be violent all the time so that's why they want to stop us from understanding it and particularly the more disadvantaged the community that you're part of the more that it's weaponized against you and so my mission is to introduce people to MMT but my only way of, but the way that I've decided to do that is to speak with, is to introduce it to people who have the ears of communities, of larger communities, mm-hmm. leaders basically. Mm-hmm. So I introduce it to people, uh, and it's it's very hard to do because it's hard to get the work, get the ears of leaders. It's hard to get the time to gain their trust and to sit down with them. Well, who are you by you? No, this was a, this is a blessing, and I'm trying to. But but still, the, the overall struggle is is still true. Where, like, uh, so so for you in particular, you represent not represent, but you you are a. I'm in contact with. You're in con- contact with a significant mm-hmm. African American community, particularly mm-hmm. activist, activists, activists, mm-hmm. NAACP, and so on. Mm-hmm. So it is really really important to me. To, to to stand in front of disadvantaged communities mm-hmm. to be able to give my presentation, to be able to, to mm-hmm. introduce this. Mm-hmm. But my speaking to you and reading your book, which I was, a, I mean, you completely surprised me. I had no idea that you were an author when we spoke at the thing. Mm-hmm. You had no idea that I was MMT. Like, it was right. a sort of happenstance at, right. this, at, this, at the uh, protest last week regarding... Uh, George Norcross, right. <laughs> and so that that was really good happenstance. But you know, I, I had no way of learning this stuff through my life experience. Right. So my being able to learn this makes me be able to understand, at least superficially, the experience of those people that I want to stand in front of. Mm-hmm. So that's why this is. As far as the MMT is concerned, is valuable for me because I don't want to try and go in front of communities that I can't understand because there's there's no they don't trust me number one they shouldn't trust me they should question me mm-hmm. but you know this is a way for me to at least superficially understand what I'm getting into I mean I'm starting to feel like I don't have a conclusion here but but that's why this no, is particularly that's, valuable that's for me. a respectful gesture I, I, I personally resent people that come in and try to um, help or direct or advise our community when they haven't taken the time to um, learn anything about our community I, um, so the fact that you read that meant a lot to me personally and the fact you got something out of it Many even more because you, you you will have more superficial understanding of um of what who and what you're dealing with. So I I, I appreciate it and um, I'm even more happy that you got something out of it. And um, my mission is to make sure 
as many people as possible, black and white can understand that because to understand that is to understand America. It's it's not. I mean, there's it's it is the black experience, mm-hmm. but the black experience is really the American, the American experience, mm-hmm. and and even though the flavor, the specific flavor of horribleness mm-hmm. is unique mm-hmm. for African Americans, mm-hmm. it's really just. Horribleness. horribleness. It's, very general it's just a different flavor of horribleness. <laughs> right. And it's and it's really it boils down to class. It's really class. And we're in the yeah. same class. We're in the same class. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean You're the army with the Marines. You're the front line? Yeah, we're the front line. <laughs> okay. Alright. Good enough. Yeah. Um, and I'm honestly afraid to be the front lines, but but I'm, I'm great being behind. I'm great being that yapping dog behind the real strong guy that, that starts go. <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, so okay, so let me ask you: economic justice or economic violence versus racism? Mm-hmm. And I, I want to ask your just your thoughts on. Uh, it's obviously going to be different who you ask, but. Mm-hmm. What's underneath? What's the root of it? Like, is are they are they side by side? No, not or, at all. Not at all. There one was it's not chicken or egg. We know which one came first. Economic violence came first. So and to justify <clears throat> economic violence, they had to come up with white supremacy. Okay, so, so that's clear. So mm-hmm. greed mm-hmm. is underneath it all. Absolutely. And racism is a tool. Okay, yeah. To accumulate more right. wealth. Exactly. And it was a construct to justify and to, as an effective tool, to accumulate wealth, you know, on race based. Uh, obviously, Africa mostly, but all over the world, because while Africa was um, stripped of its humans and its minerals and its uh, precious metals and its gold and things that nature and diamonds, for North America was stripped of. It's people. I hear there were 100 million, you know, Native Americans, and I don't know if there's 2 million left, you know. Um, so um, you had to come up with a, a theory that justifies that kind of demonic inhumanity and white supremacy fit the bill. So I heard um, Bill Brennan, mm-hmm. you know who Bill Brennan no, is? No, he ran no. for governor of the Democratic primary. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, and, and I found it shocking and sort of I understood, but what your book really brought home for me is America was built on and is continuing to this day to be built on the backs of blacks and fertilized with the blood of Native Americans. That's pretty accurate. Pretty accurate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but it's coming to a close. You know, um, I'm, I'm an eternal optimist, um, but it is coming to a close. Uh, I don't know what the next chapter is going to be. Uh, I got a feeling it's going to be better than the last chapter. Maybe NMT has something to do with it. Maybe Bernie Sanders has something to do with it. But I know that, um, that this 400 year period, we've been here since 2019 in North America, uh, uh, I see some things on the horizon that are very, very encouraging. One of the things is not only the awakening of African American people, but the awakening of a lot of my white brothers and sisters. Like present company, you know, at the, there's always been some John Brown's more brothers than a whole lot of brothers. You see what I'm saying? Um, the one who actually made the the Confederacy start fighting. He was so freaked out by him, you know. Charles Sumner, you know, you know, we've always had great, you know, uh, strong white warriors in the fight for um, for racial justice. Um, I think that the fight for racial justice probably been the most multicultural construct probably for in the history of mankind. A lot of people don't like to talk about the fact that it's been populated by a lot of whites because if they did that, then it wouldn't be so easy to uh, fool blacks and whites and to stand apart. So, but they're they're waking up too. We're all waking up, and it looks like we're ready for some action. And I believe that's what this whole conversation is. Another brick in the wall of uh, uh, empowerment, enlightenment, and advancement. Good. All right. So let, let me ask you one last question and then just wrap it up. You can tell people, if, I don't know if your book is on sale and online or whatever. Mm-hmm. My last question for you is centrism. 
Mm-hmm. People that say Bernie Sanders is too far left, and I think that honestly that comes from what you were telling me before that you think he's good, but you worry that hateful people will not allow him to win, which I really think is what the powers that be want you to believe. Mm-hmm. You know, with respect, I mm-hmm. think the news that you watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but centrist, centrist will say that, you know, Bernie Sanders is the reason that we had Trump and, you know, Hillary would have won if it wasn't for, you know, Bernie is too far left, he's a socialist and all those things. That Where does that afraid of taking too bold of a step come from? Like, obviously, something something has to do with privilege. Like, where where do you believe that? Well, let me answer that as best I can. I'm not, I'm not intimidated or ashamed to quote Jesus. Jesus said, be either hot or cold. If you are lukewarm, I will spit you out. That's in your book. You know what I'm saying? Um, I don't think we have any room for um, centrist. Somebody said, I forgot who it was, that you can't be neutral. It might have been Howard Zinn on a, on a runaway train. You know, um, but when things are going crazy, to not be clearly on the side of righteousness puts you clearly on the side of unrighteousness. You can neutrality. So where do you where do you think that what what do you think drives them to be middle ground? Well, what fear? A lot of what? people. You said a lot of people are middle ground people because they're scared of conflict, not knowing. And I'm going to talk about Christians because I am one, not knowing that they are demanded by their own uh, by their own proclamations of who they are. Christians are demanded to take a side, and quite frankly. Christ wasn't considered a centrist. He was considered extreme radical. I would still sort of say Bernie Sanders radical. You see what I'm saying? Um, Martin Luther King was killed not because of black rights, but because... Because of his radical nature. Because he wanted to bring blacks and whites together, and, and he spoke he, against the war machine, and then... He wasn't considered extremely radical. The poor, they, they, right. they might have a, a neutralized granite statue 40 foot on Washington Ball, but Martin King was extremely radical. He said it in general ways. The whitewashing, actually, the whitewashing of, of Martin Luther King has changed him into black rights. Yeah, yeah. Where what he really was killed for was economic was justice. economic justice for all poor people, black yeah. and white, yeah. and speaking against the war machine. Absolutely. You know, so I, because I am an, an adherent of Jesus and Martin, you know, I have no tolerance or no time or no interest in centrism. But my concerns about Bernie are not are we he and I the same people we are. I'm, I'm, he's one of us. Well, that's the highest compliment in our community we give. He's one of us. We know he's one of us. But even though he's one of us, we still have to be strategic and ask the question. Now, let's say we come included. We have to ask the question, can he win? Can he get it done? And to the extent that question is answered, obviously we're going to be happy to have one of us <laughs> in the White House. You see what I'm saying? All right. So, so uh, well, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just conclude that, as I said before, uh, if Bernie... If Bernie wins the nomination, which that's the hard part because mm-hmm. of corruption mm-hmm. and cough mistakes mm-hmm. of the Democratic Party, mm-hmm. it will be a dominating win over Trump. Just dominating. And I believe very strongly that the combination of Bernie Sanders and MMT mm-hmm. is the is the seed of the revolution that would be too fast for the wealthy to, to shut down, which is why there's hit pieces on Bernie and why there's hit pieces on MMT. So that's my thought. So, okay, so thank you very much. This was sort of all over the place, but it was good. Um, why don't you, you know, if you want to plug your book, if it's on for sale or whatever, or I don't know. Yeah, well, um, you can go to the website and see if you're interested. I don't like to plug the book. I like the book to, to do what it does on its own. But um, there's a website called thepowerandtheglory.org, and you can go there and see if it interests you. You know, um, It is really good. It is really good. I, I don't know. Yeah, it, it was shocking. I, I did not expect that. <laughs> well, thank you. that. I really do. So, listen, anything I can do to help? Uh, I... I, I um, I think you're one of us. Um, 
And he's like, I could do the You know, I've been black men for Bernie last time. Uh, yeah, I was yeah. as well. We so never. I, I, you weren't I, in black men for Bernie, for God's sakes. I was worked for black men for Bernie. You did? Yeah, I told you this at the restaurant. Oh, I thought you worked for the Bernie Sanders campaign. I worked for black men for Bernie. <laughs> I mean, I, I, it, it, that was secondary to the Bernie oh, Sanders okay. campaign. But I drove their vans. Uh, right, I was in good. Camden. I probably saw you in Camden. We just didn't yeah, know each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. That's I close. drove their vans. I okay. I interview. I have two interviews with black men for Bernie. I have I have an interview with Bruce. Uh huh. Who he sort of intimidated me, but uh, I have an interview with Bruce. Right. I have an interview with a, another worker of Black Men for Bernie on my right. podcast. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yes. Yeah. But to, to I mean, I, my my opinion of him sort of changed after he went to Trump. But but right. yeah, no, I was very excited by yeah, them. Yeah. Well, he's, he's, I see him more as a businessman. Yeah. Than, yeah he, most people didn't do that, so he's an aberration. Don't worry about it. But um um yeah. So. I was on their bus. I went to them to, to Camden, some high school, and there it was really cool experience. Okay, yeah. good, good. Well, so um, yeah, so I, I I like religious too. So either one of those winning for me. I'm not saying you had to be that way. I didn't hear he just. I like Elizabeth also. Oh, okay. You know, um, I, I feel her soul. You know, so either one of them winning would make me happy. And maybe a dream ticket would be both of them. Maybe so. Know? So. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you, man. Okay. Music for this show is done by Rectech. You can find him on SoundCloud and on Spotify. W-R-E-C-K-T-E-C-H. And thank you for listening to our show.